Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Harrison. I'm the pastor here at Kingdom Church. We're so excited you took the time to listen to this message. It's the last in our series, Reimagine. We hope you enjoy. Mark chapter 2 says this. It says, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some man came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat where the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Someone say, go home. He took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Thank you, Mateos. How was that? So good. Clap your hands. We're in part three, uh, the final installment of our series, Reimagine, Reimagine. If you've been with us uh, in any part of this series, you will know that we've been reimagining our picture of who we think Jesus is. What we've said in this series is that all of us have a picture of who Jesus is, but is it the accurate picture of who Jesus is? And so we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and Mark has been painting us a picture of who Jesus really was. As we get started this morning, I want to ask you guys a question. Uh, Has anyone in this room ever been disappointed before? All of us, right? Like you thought something was going to go one way, but it it turned out a completely different way. Uh, For those of you guys that didn't raise your hands, you're like, I don't know if I've been disappointed. Uh, I'll just ask you another question. Has anyone ever ordered anything online before? I'm sure if I passed uh, the mic around, I could just, we could get horror stories of things you've ordered online, things that haven't worked out. I'm sure all of us have a story like where their mom bought all of their Christmas presents online from a store in China and nothing fit and there was no return policy. I'm sure that's happened to all of us. Uh, but we live in the age of the online shopping, and so with online shopping, you know, it can often equal uh, disappointment. Christy, uh, my wife and I, when we were furnishing our house, we bought a lot of things online. And uh, one thing that we specifically wanted uh, for our house was a multi-paneled canvas art wall type thing. Uh, If we can get the picture, we wanted something like this. Have you guys ever seen that before? Where it's like all the panels make one picture. And we were like, that will go perfect in our house. That's the one thing that is missing. And so uh, I started Googling, like, where can I find these things? Googling, nothing really came up. The next day, I was on Facebook and Instagram, and all of a sudden, I had these ads for multi-paneled canvases. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they're watching me in the camera on my computer. How do they know what we've been looking up? Uh, I've since learned about how the Internet works. And uh, so we saw this ad, and this ad was like, you know, it had the multi-paneled canvases, Best quality, lowest price, click here. 
And so I clicked. And it took me to their website, and, and lo and behold, it had a whole bunch of these things, and they were like very decently well-priced uh, in comparison to the things we've been looking at before, and that should have been my first clue. So we, we looked at it, we read some reviews, and then we ended up ordering these, these canvases. And you guys know that second, like after you order something, you're like, did I just make a huge mistake? Like this is, is this, we had that moment for a second, but then I was like, you know what, we're just going to roll with it. And then so that, that scared feeling turned into excitement because we're like, man, it's going to be awesome in the house. Like our wall is going to be so cool. We're going to invite people over and just show them this wall. And they're going to be like, where'd you get that from? We'd be like, I found the best deal ever. So this is, this is one of those packages that had uh, the ambiguous uh, delivery date. Do you guys know those ones? Where it's like, this thing's going to come sometime between September 1st and December 16th. We're like, so do I wait at home for that? or what? And, and so uh, eventually, after weeks and weeks, I think it was almost over a month of waiting, one day uh, we get a knock on our door. And at this point, this was the only thing we hadn't gotten in, so we knew exactly what it was. And we're like, yes, this is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And we opened the door, and at the door were these cylinder packages. Like, you guys know what a cylinder is? It's like a circle. And so we're, we're kind of looking at the thing. Those things are rectangles, and they're hard. And if you guys have ever seen a canvas, like they don't bend. And so we're like, there's no way this could fit in those things. And so we opened up this cylinder-like package, and all it actually had in it was the canvas prints. It, di it didn't even have the canvas. It just had some prints, and they were extremely low-quality prints. And we were like, what is this? Like, are people buying these things to make it themselves? Like, I did not order an art project. And needless to say, we were extremely disappointed. We were extremely disappointed. And the one thing that I've realized in life is that disappointment, what disappointment really is, is when things work out differently than we expected them to work out. That's just the simplest definition of, of disappointment is when things go contrary to how we expected them to go. And, and I think if we were to reflect in our lives, all of us at some point have dealt with disappointment. All of us have had a preferred picture of the way we thought things were going to go, and they didn't go the way we thought things were going to go. We had a preferred picture of our life, but we're not where we thought we would be at this time in our life. A lot of us have had prayers that didn't get answered the way we thought they would get answered, and we had this expectation that God was going to move. He was going to move the mountains, but it didn't come to fruition like we thought it was going to come to fruition, and so the result is disappointment. It's disappointment, and what happens with disappointment is often discouragement. Because we expected things to be one way, but they don't work out the way that we thought they would work out. And it's interesting because I think when it comes to faith, so many of us are often disappointed. Disappointed. And when it comes to faith, so many times we're discouraged because things don't work out the way that we thought they would work out. But what's interesting is that I think the reason that we're always disappointed in faith is because faith is things that we cannot see. Faith is hoping for something that we believe in, right? We're believing and we're hoping that it's going to come to pass and we have this picture of how we think God is going to work. And so oftentimes when God doesn't work how we thought he was going to work, we're disappointed. But what I want us to see this morning is I think that faith and disappointment are often closer and more connected than we realize. You see, God will often work in ways that we didn't expect it. And when I read the Bible, the Bible is filled with stories of things working out contrary 
to how the people thought they would work out. There's a guy in the New Testament, his name is John the Baptist. And in one chapter of the Bible, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's believing and he's feeling Jesus. And a few chapters later, John gets thrown into prison. And he's like, uh, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we wait for someone else? Should we keep looking? And so suddenly he shifts because John the Baptist's life doesn't go where he thought it was going to go. And so he's disappointed because things didn't work out how he thought they would work out. But what I want us to see is that God will often work in ways that are contrary to how we think that things would go. And that's just the example that the Bible paints for us. You see, for a lot of us, we're expecting one package to come to our door, but God will bring a completely different package. You see, most people didn't think the Savior of the world was going to come in the package shaped like a, a manger. Most people didn't think the cross that was this instrument of death would actually be the thing that brings salvation to the world. God often works contrary to how we thought he was going to work. And so that is why faith is often filled with disappointment, because God is going to work differently than you thought he was going to work. And he's going to work things out in a way that we don't always understand. And so faith and disappointment are often hand in hand. And so what we're going to see this morning, and kind of one of the things I want to bring out of this, is that oftentimes disappointment is actually the road to our destiny. In disappointment is our destiny. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? You'll see it in a second. We're in Mark chapter 2, and uh, it says, and I'll, I'll give you the background. It says, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So what Mark tells us right here is that Jesus had been there before. This wasn't the first time he'd been there. It says, when Jesus returned again, he'd come home again. And so it says that the crowds gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. So what we learned from this is the last time that Mark, or the last time that Jesus was in Capernaum, he had done enough, he had performed enough miracles that the people had got word of who he was. And so next time he came there, people were lining up. They're like, yo, I got to see Jesus. I got to get me a piece of this Jesus. Because he was doing things. He was, he was having these miracles. And so when Jesus comes the second time, the crowds are so large. They're, they're, they're completely uh, engulfing this house. And most scholars believe that this house is actually Peter's house, the disciple Peter. And so uh, it says that there was so uh, many people there, there was no room to come inside. And so it says some man came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, Mark, if you guys have been with us in this series, I told you he's always in a hurry. He's always got places to be, and so he doesn't really give us a lot of details. And uh, there's a whole lot in here that I want us to see that Mark may not necessarily be telling us. You see, all it tells us is that there was four guys, and they're bringing this paralyzed dude to see Jesus. But what this doesn't tell us is the background, like how they actually got there. So what I want us to do is I want us to imagine what this scene was like. And the way that I imagined it, there was this dude, and the Bible doesn't give us his name, so let's just call him Bill, because that sounds like a first century Jewish name to me. And so Bill was this paralyzed dude, and he was at home, and, and from the understanding of this, this guy had been paralyzed for a long time, if not his whole life. And so he was at his home, and he had his four buddies there, and uh, something happened that day where these people, these four friends, one of them heard that Jesus was coming. And they heard what Jesus did the last time that he was in town. And they were like, Bill, this Jesus from Nazareth, this guy is here. Bill, if we can get you over there, he can heal you. 
All we got to do is get you there and Jesus can heal you. And, and understand this. This is before the time of the wheelchair. This is before the time of, of the car. There was no handicapped stall outside of Peter's house. And so Bill's first question was probably like, well, that sounds fine and dandy, but how do you expect us to get there? How are you going to get me there? And, and Bill's on this mat. And his friends are like, well, there's four of us, so like, if we each grab a corner of this mat, if we just carry you there, we can get you to the house. And now I don't claim to know what Bill was thinking in that moment, but if Bill was like any other man, man no grown man wants to get carried by four other dudes. No matter, I don't care, like, what's wrong with you, like, that's just embarrassing. Especially if you're on a mat. Like, you're really just, like, each got a corner, and it's cumbersome, and it's hard, and it's embarrassing. But, but they somehow convinced him. They're like, if we can just get you to Jesus, Jesus can heal you. And so they, they, they grab Bill, they grab a corner. Have you guys ever grabbed something super, like, awkward before where there's no handles, there's no grips? It's just, like, the worst and I can imagine they're like literally shuffling to Jesus. So I'm like, just three more hours, Bill, we'll be there. We'll get there soon. And so they have this, this long journey to get to Jesus. And, and I can almost imagine this paralyzed man on his way to Jesus, his shame, his embarrassment of like, oh my gosh, I'm getting carried by these grown people. That turns to excitement as they get closer to Jesus. He's like, man, I'm, I'm going to get healed. I'm, I'm going to walk for the first time in my life. But the closer they get to Jesus, they, they see this crowd. And now in this time, a house uh, at this time could hold about 50 people. That was like the max. And so the Bible says the house is completely jam-packed, and outside of the house is even more packed. They could not even get into the door. They couldn't even see the door. There was no room left. And so I can imagine in this moment, this paralyzed man's excitement turns to disappointment. Because he's like, I came here to see Jesus, but I can't see Jesus. He came here, he came here to see Jesus. He came here to be healed, but all he has gotten is a closing, a closed door. The door is closed. Have any of you guys ever got really excited before only for the door to close? Like you believed that God was gonna do something in your life, but the door was closed. And so these men get there to the door, and the door is closed. And for this man, for this paralyzed man, this disappointment was just one more in the long list that he called his life. It was just one more thing. He was already born paralyzed. He was already born without the ability to walk. And in this time in the first century, to not be able to walk, to be paralyzed, to have any sort of disease, most people just assumed you were cursed by God. You're cursed. And so this man, he's thinking to himself, it's just one more thing in my life. He gets there. He's like, the door is closed. He's like, all right, boys, pack me up. Pick me up. Let's go home. It's a closed door. You see, for a lot of us, friends, when doors close, our first response is to leave. So the question I want us to ponder as we get started this morning is, what's your closed door pattern? What's your closed door pattern? What do I mean by that? How do you deal with disappointment? What do you do when things don't work out the way that you thought they were going to work out? What do you do when God does not answer the prayers, our prayers, like he thought he was going to answer it? What's your closed door pattern? You see, for a lot of us, what we believe is that if the front door is closed, there's no other way to get in. But what God wants us to see this morning is that a closed door does not have to be the end of the line. A closed door does not have to be a no 
I was reading this week uh, about a Dr. Seuss. Anyone in this room heard of Dr. Seuss before? And uh, he's the beloved uh, children's author. And I actually, I've never heard his story before. I didn't even know he's not a doctor. I just assumed, like, he went to med school or something. His name was actually Theodore Grice, I think. His middle name is Seuss, I believe. Uh, anyways, I was just really disappointed. I was like, he's not a doctor. Like, what? But I was reading this story this week. And uh, I just kind of assumed, like, Dr. Seuss was a legend from the start. Like, he just killed it first time. He's writing books, like, Green Eggs and Ham, The Grinch, Horton, here's a, uh, a who. And I was like, man, this guy must have just, like, he must have just been there. But I read his story this week, and I'm not sure. Have anyone in this room ever heard of the very first children's story that Dr. Seuss wrote? The title, and this might ring a bell, is called, um, And to Think That I Saw It on Mulberry Street. Anyone heard of that before? A few people? That's his very first book. And, and if you read it, it's just, it sounds like the rest of his books. It's got the rhymes and the cute things, and it's, it's all good. I read it this week. But the story behind that book is actually quite interesting. You see, uh, Dr. Seuss sent that to publishers. He went to publishers, and he was rejected. And he wasn't just rejected one time. He just wasn't rejected twice, wasn't three times, wasn't four times, wasn't five. Dr. Seuss took that book to 27 different publishers. And each time he was declined. Each time the door closed. Every time he thought he was walking into a door, the door shut. As the story goes, he was going to give up on his book. He's like, I'm just done. I'm not going to do children's literature. I'm going to do something else. He was walking down the street one day, and he walked into one of his old friends. And he bumped into his old friend, and what he found out is that his friend was now um, one of the lead editors at a publishing house. And he said, you know what? You know what, Teddy, just, just give your manuscript to me. I'll give it to my editor one last time, and he'll check it out, and we'll see what happens. And that last time, the 28th time, the 28th door that Dr. Seuss knocked on, his book got published. And the rest is how they say history. Dr. Seuss has been translated into 20 different languages, and he has sold over 600 million books. 600 million. He's, he's since passed away. But what I want us to see, friends, is that the first door, and sometimes the second door, sometimes the third door, sometimes the fourth, the fifth, the 27th, sometimes our life will be filled with closed doors. But what I want us to examine, what I want us to ponder is what's your closed door pattern? Perhaps the reason you've never experienced breakthrough, perhaps the reason you've never experienced God work in your life the way that you thought he was going to work is because when one door is closed, you thought that that was it. You thought God didn't want to heal your heart. You thought God didn't want to heal your marriage, your relationship. And so when doors close, we turn around. But what I want us to see this morning, what God is wanting us to do is, is begin to reimagine our life. God wants us to find another door. He wants us to find another door. Find another door. In Mark chapter 2, it says, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they came up with another plan. And again, like, I, I can just imagine what's going on here. Like, the crowd is packed. This paralyzed man is discouraged. He's like, guys, let's just go home. Like, let's just leave. But he's got his four buddies, and, and they're like, well, I got an idea, Bill. You might not like it, but I saw as we were walking, and most houses in this time had this, they would have a staircase that led to the roof. 
They're like, Bill, you thought this walk here was uncomfortable. This is, this is going to be the next thing. We're going to have to get up these stairs. And he's like, well, what are we going to do in those stairs? Well, we're, we're going to lower you, you in. And so the Bible says, uh, because the crowd was so large, they went up to the roof and they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat that this man was lying on. Peter's like, oh my gosh, there goes my roof. In those times, roofs were generally made of, of wood, but they would have clay uh, in, in between and leaves and stuff. So you could dig through it and you could lower someone in. But you see what they did when they were met with disappointment is they realized they could give up and they could go home or they could find another door. They could find another door. And so what they did, they get onto the roof and they begin to lower him through the roof. And I can almost imagine this scene because like Jesus is in the middle of a sermon. He's not there to heal people. He's preaching. It says he's there to preach the word. And so they begin to lower him down. And it says that Jesus, when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, because he looks up and he sees them. And I'll get to the last part of this verse, but I need us to see something really quickly. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. So it wasn't just the faith of the paralyzed man. It was their faith. It was the faith of the four friends. And what I want us to see here is that Jesus is more, uh, he is just as impressed with the, paralyzed, the friends as he was with the paralyzed man. Because you see, the paralyzed man could never have gotten to the roof by himself. He, never have, could, he couldn't even have got to the house by himself. And so what God is trying to say to us this morning, and what I want us to see really quickly, is perhaps the reason that we've never gotten to an open door is because we don't have the proper people in our lives in order to get us to those doors. You guys are like, well, I got great friends. Like, we have girls on every Thursday. We watch movies, and that's fine. You can have friends that you have fun with, but you need friends that can take you. You need friends that can take you places that you couldn't get to by yourself. That's what we need. The dinner parties and the movies and, and all that, that's great. And, and have those friends. But if you don't have friends that can get you to a level that you can't get by yourself, you got to find some more friends. And that's the beauty of what church is. We're hoping that you can find friendship here. And you can find people that you can do life together because there's going to be times and places that you can't get to by yourself. There's going to be doors that you're searching for and you've been trying to get there by yourself, but you just need friends. You just need help. And so Jesus is amazed by their faith their faith to find another door. And so the question I ask is, what is our closed door pattern? We need to find another door. And so they find the door. They go to the roof. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, and now I'm thinking to myself, he's going to say, get up, stand up, be well, you're healed. But he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Excuse me? there's a few things the man came there for that day and one of them was not to get his sins forgiven he was there to be healed he was there so he could walk and so as we're picturing this story we're trying to imagine it this is just another disappointment it's like it's another closed door he's like man I got myself lowered through the roof I've done it all Jesus is amazed by my faith and all he wants to do is heal my sins Jesus gives a very spiritual answer to a physical problem. You guys ever had that before? Like you're praying for something physical and nothing happens? It's like, it's like when someone's hurting and they're in the hospital. You guys ever seen this? And like someone makes a Facebook status? They're like, I'm praying for you. It's like, that's fine, but you can visit me. 
I can use some food, right? It's like a spiritual answer, but we need physical help. And that's what happens here. Jesus is giving a very spiritual answer to a physical problem. And so he must be thinking to himself, that's fine, Jesus. But that's not why I came here. That's not what I need. That must have been disappointing. That has to have been disappointing. And I think this hits home for a lot of us because a lot of us have been praying for physical things. We've been praying for something that you can physically see, like a healing, a restoration in a relationship. We've been praying for that job. We've been applying and spiritual answers. But what Jesus wants to do here is Jesus wants to get these people to reimagine what's most important. You see, a lot of us, in fact, most of us, all of us, for the most part, we live in the physical world. We live in the realm of things that we can see. And what we can see and what's in front of us is always most important to us. And so what's in front of us, what we can see are injuries, our brokenness, our our lack of, of finances, our lack of a job. That's what we can see. That's what's in front of us. And so that's what we're praying for. It's a physical thing, but what Jesus wants his people to do, and, and he's here to teach them a lesson, Jesus wants them to really see what's actually most important. What's actually most important. Uh, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to get them to see beyond what they could see themselves. And I want us, I want us to illustrate, I want to illustrate it like this. I was actually supposed to bring a string or a rope, but I completely forgot. So um, we're going to use this because it works. Mateos, tell me if I'm breaking something. You see, for so many of us, like I said, we live in the physical realm. We live in that in which we can see. For this man who was paralyzed his whole life, that was the most important problem in his life. That was the most important thing. And so when he's going to see Jesus, he wants a physical healing. But what Jesus wants us to do and what Jesus is trying to do in this story is he's trying us to broaden our scope. He's trying to get us to picture things in a new way. And so what Jesus is saying here and what he's really saying is we need to look at the spiritual. Because so many of us only look at the physical. And so I'll illustrate it like this. Imagine this ox right here is our life. This is the physical world that we live in. And this is what the majority of us spend most of our life worrying about, is this ox core right here. But what Jesus wants us to see is if this is our life right here, the rest of this rope, you guys all see this. That's just one. The rest of this is eternity. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So if this is the physical and the rest of this is eternity, which is most important? Which is more important? Which one needs fixing? You see, the paralyzed man thought that his most important need was his physical healing. But what Jesus wanted him to see was that there was something else that he needed. It wasn't his sickness that needed healings, it was his sins. Understand this, friends. God will always want to heal us in the spiritual before he heals us in the physical. Because the spiritual is a lot longer. The physical is just, it's just this little thing. This time on earth, and so many of us spend our lives worrying and praying about this, this small little aspect of life. But God's trying to get us to think of the big picture. Eternity. And so he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I'm sure in this moment, the paralyzed man didn't quite understand it. He didn't understand what was going on. But what Jesus is really trying to to get him to do is to shift his perspective. 
And as we close out this series, what this series has been all about is about shifting our perspective. And so when it comes to God making a way where there was no way, when it comes to our faith, there will be breakthrough. That's why we sing those things. That song that we sang this morning, we sang all these songs, and they're all with promises, right? Like, I've seen you move, you move the mountains. Or, or the one before that is, um, I know breakthrough is coming. By faith, I see a miracle. We're declaring something that we can't see. And that's what faith is. And so what God is trying to do, he's trying to get us to shift our perspective on things that we can't see. And a lot of times, our spiritual healing, the, the part that God actually wants to heal us with, we can't see it. We can't see it. And so this man, as he's lowered through the roof, he can't see it. And so he's like, what? What do you mean? And he didn't understand this. But in that moment, Jesus gave him everything that he needed. You see, a lot of us are praying for what we want. And Jesus will respond with what we need. And that's why when the package comes to our door, we don't recognize it immediately. We don't always understand it. And so it says this. It says, immediately... Sorry, it says, now some of the teachers of the law who were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can, who can do? The reason the religious people were so offended, so upset, is because what Jesus was doing here is Jesus was making a claim. Because the only person that can forgive sins is God. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, in essence, I am God. And so this offends the Pharisees. It offends the religious people. Because who alone can do this? He's blaspheming. It's funny because what Jesus is doing, he's challenging the beliefs of everyone on all sides. And that's what Jesus always does. Jesus wants to challenge our beliefs. What do we need? What do we actually need in life? And he challenges their beliefs in who he is. He's saying, I'm God. I am God. Who does a fellow think he is? And look at Jesus' response. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that they were thinking in their hearts, what they were thinking in their hearts. So Jesus is so cool that he answers objections that no one says out loud. Some of us are too afraid to actually say things, but God knows what we're thinking. And so he answers the objection that he hears in their heart. And he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. You see, now Jesus is speaking to everyone. He's trying to get everyone to lean in. He's saying, what's, what's, what's harder? To forgive sins or to, to tell someone to, to pick up your mat and walk? And again, you see, a lot of us, we think it's, well, obviously to heal someone, right? To walk. And in our lives, we're like, Jesus, just heal us, just heal us. But Jesus says, which is easier? In other words, which is actually more important? It's the long-term thing. And Jesus wants to heal our hearts. He wants to heal our brokenness. He wants to heal and forgive our sins so we can have eternity with him. And so he says, moving on, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Because get this, we can't really physically see that someone's sins are forgiven. He's like, I need you guys to see this. I'm going to do the most important thing, which is forgiving sins, but I need you guys to know that I actually can, for that I actually can forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and just, just think of this moment, think of this man that we've seen this morning. He's vindicated. And in front of everyone, in front of his friends, he picks up his mat and walks out in full view of them all. And everyone 
was amazed, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. And it's funny, in this story, the people are amazed because they see the physical healing. But what Jesus wants us to see is that the most amazing thing is the spiritual healing he did. Jesus wants to heal us in the spiritual. But as I was pondering this story, as I was pondering the end of the story, one thing that I realized was that had this man never been paralyzed in the physical, he never would have ever been able to get to Jesus. And Jesus then healed him in the spiritual and the physical. You see, had it not been for this man's afflictions, he never would have been able to get to Jesus. And so what I see is that sometimes we have things in our lives that we may not necessarily like. There's doors that are closed and we're not sure why they are closed, but the reason they are like that is because we eventually, that's gonna lead us to Jesus. I know so many people who come to church who experience Jesus for the first time and the reason they walk through this door is because they had previously experienced a brokenness. It wasn't without that closed door, it wasn't without that brokenness that they saw their need for Jesus. Had that man never been paralyzed, he may have never gotten to that house. And had he had never gotten to that house, he never would have been healed. You see, it's, it's a change of perspective. And that's why disappointment, this box that we look at, is often actually our, our destiny. You see, we see it through the human perspective. We're like, why is this happening the way it is? Why don't I have that job? Why isn't this church where I thought it was going to be? But God is saying this disappointment is just setting you up for your, your destiny. It's setting us up for that meeting with Jesus, that Jesus wants to heal and that wants to give us a new life. And so disappointment is often just the road to destiny. And that's why, and we're, if you guys could all stand to your feet right now, we're going to close. That's really why, that's why we sing these songs. I'll invite the whole worship team to come up. The reason we sing these songs is because we're declaring to God. We're declaring a lot of times in the midst of our disappointment. We're declaring in the times when we want God to move the mountains, but the mountains haven't moved. We're saying, God, I believe that you're going to do it. I don't see it. I don't understand it right now, but I'm going to believe it anyways. So we're going to sing one last time. You guys can just lift your voices with me. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We hope that message was exactly what you needed to hear. Hey, if you want more information about us, if you want to visit us in person, everything you need to know is online at kingdomchurch.ca. Check it out. We can't wait to see you. Take care.